Hello, everyone, and welcome to today's episode of Red Skies. Today, we are going to talk about something that is very close to my heart. I spend a lot of time um, in this topic, and this episode will focus on energy and specifically energy savings in our apartments and our in our homes. Everyone I talk to says all the time, it's too confusing. I don't understand. And hopefully in today's episode, you will walk away with at least one little nugget of information to help you make a better decision um, or to maybe get some money back from the utility, which we will talk about as well. This is Red Skies, brought to you by Karen Maroos and Kelly Doherty, produced by Medley Shabazz. Red Skies is real educated discussions on sustainability knowledge impacting every society. We're people that work in sustainability and also went to school for sustainability, which is where we met and became friends. Our goal is to continue to learn and to inspire ourselves and others to do better. We'll tell stories about sustainability and answer questions like, Why should I care? Plastic straws not bad. What is a carbon footprint? We are New Yorkers leading regular lives and doing our best to live sustainably, but we're not perfect. We don't have all the answers, but together we will search for them. This is Red Skies. Yeah, this is a very interesting topic to me, Kelly, because as you know, I rent my apartment here in New York City. And it's hard when you're a renter because you're responsible for paying the energy bills, but it's not your permanent home. So it's not like you want to spend a lot of money replacing things. So I'm really eager to hear what some maybe cheaper and quick tips are to saving money on your energy bill. So I think the first thing, Karen, that I should do um, is walk through some common terms that are on a utility bill. And the reason why I'm going to do that is because in order to first digest how much energy you use in an apartment, kind of have to understand what you're looking at to be able to see if it's right or wrong. So Karen, here we are at that wonderful time of year when the temperature rises and so does our utility bill. So to get started, we're going to focus on the two main parts of all utility bills and that will be electricity and in New York's case, natural gas. Now there are different commodities that are used throughout the country and the world, such as propane and also oil. However, we're not gonna focus on those in this episode. We'll be focusing on natural gas, which is measured in therms and electricity, which is measured in kilowatts and kilowatt hours. So let's begin with electricity which mostly everybody would know is all of your electric appliances in your apartment. Pretty much anything you plug in that is using electricity or any light switch you turn on that is using electricity. So what is KWH or KW on your utility bill? KWH stands for kilowatt hour and KW stands for kilowatt. So a kilowatt is a measurement or unit of power. Uh, whereas a kilowatt hour is a unit of energy, and they are very much connected. 
So all of these terms are actually pretty simple. They're pretty basic, but they can also be a little bit confusing. So we probably are all very familiar with a watt and most likely because it is noted on all the packages of any electronic device that you purchase, such as a white microwave or a new TV, a computer, or even a light bulb. So you may see on a light bulb 60 watts or something like that, or a microwave 1200 or 2400 watts, et cetera. A kilo is just a thousand of those watts. Now, a kilowatt hour represents the amount of time that you're using all of that electricity at one time. And that's how the electricity is actually charged by the utility. So for instance, let's just say that you had a hundred watt bulb that you used for 10 hours. And that was the only thing that you were using in your apartment was that 100 watt bulb for 10 hours. That would be equal to one kilowatt hour. Now on your utility bill, you would then have that one kilowatt hour times the delivery and the supply charge on your bill. And that is how the electricity is charged to you as a residential customer. That may have been a little too much detail and maybe a little confusing for some. So what is the takeaway of what a kilowatt hour is? It's the amount of power that you're using over a period of time. And then that is going to be what the utility charges you in kilowatt hours on a monthly basis. And the next area of your bill will be natural gas. And natural gas is measured in therms. A therm is 100,000 BTUs or British thermal units. And a BTU is a unit of heat. I will not go into that full explanation here on a BTU, but I will provide some information on our website on how to understand a BTU. And natural gas on your utility bill is charged specifically on how many therms you use on a monthly basis. So gas in apartments is commonly used for cooking, like your stoves and your ovens, and sometimes for individual hot water heaters. And sometimes it's used for heating, like my apartment. So actually my building has a big boiler that produces heat using natural gas. Here in New York City, it's more common that apartment buildings have central heat, and that's either through a steam system or electric. And the building pays for that directly. And it's the rare case when apartments pay for their own heat. So actually, Karen, that is how most apartments are in New York, except for mine. I am in the minority of apartments that have complete decentralized control over my heating and cooling. And I also have control over my domestic hot water temperature because I have a separate unit in my apartment for that as well. So the great thing is, is that I have control over it. The bad thing is, is that I pay for it. But as far as energy efficiency goes, I know that if I want it to be warmer or colder or my hot water to be very hot as well, I'm going to pay for that energy usage, which makes me kind of change how I adjust my temperatures. Yeah, that thing about central versus decentralized heating and hot water, 
that means that oftentimes, and I've been in these buildings before, but it means that when heat and hot water are centralized, so not every apartment is held responsible for how much it's using, usually the tenants don't really care how much heat or how much hot water they use. Uh, so sometimes there's a, there's a difference in, based on how your building is set up, there's a difference in how much time and energy you'll want to invest in reducing your heating and hot water usage. When you pay your bill, you definitely care a lot more, which is where this is, (laughs) which is where I am right now. In my experience, most of the apartments I've been in that have central heat are really overheated. So even when it's freezing cold and snowing outside, it's so hot in my apartment that I end up opening the windows, which I know is bad because it just causes the heater to run more. But it's so hot. What am I supposed to do? And I don't care because I don't pay the bill. And actually, Kelly talks about why this issue exists in specifically here in New York City in the episode on COVID and what we can learn from the past. So I encourage you to go back and check that out if you haven't listened to it yet. It's actually really fascinating in the nerdiest way. (laughs) I love being called a nerd. Um, So another thing is that's really important, Karen, you already touched on this a bit, but If you live in one of those apartments and it is overheated, you need to tell your super because the only way that they're going to make a change to the system is for people to complain about it. Okay, so we got through all of the geeky stuff. So now we can focus for the rest of the episode on what do you do with this information? And listen, if you are like most people in the world, probably, you don't focus on your utility bill on a regular basis. But by doing so, not only will you be helping the world reducing greenhouse gas emissions by reducing excess waste, but also you will be saving money yourself. Well, it's true. I typically had always had my bill on just auto pay. So there was no reason why I read it as long as I didn't see a crazy amount. And when I moved into my most recent apartment, I saw my bills really get higher. And that's when I really started actually reading my bills. But up until then, I never had before. Here are some reasons why you should pay attention. And the first is perhaps there is something that you're doing in your apartment that is causing you to pay more and use more energy. Right. It's good to look for things like spikes in usage. So that means that if you know you generally use or spend X amount of dollars on gas or water, and then all of a sudden one month you get this huge bill, that's called a spike. And this is especially pertinent with water or gas because these can actually indicate a really serious issue such as a leak or any other type of issue. So looking for those big differences and then coming back down to normal or staying high may mean there's, there's some kind of issue. With electric, it's good to look at your usage over time and understand what your patterns are. And that may help you identify what's using a lot of electricity. So for example, if every summer your bill just gets so high, you can draw the obvious conclusion that this could be because of your air conditioners. So we'll give some tips towards the end of this episode, but very simply try switching your air conditioner to economy mode or even bring up the temperature in your home by one or two degrees 
it's hardly noticeable to you and to your family, but it can really impact your bill. Those are really good points, Karen. And there are some smart devices out there that you can plug into your wall outlet and then plug your device in and track the energy usage per device minute by minute. They also have some that are Wi-Fi enabled, which are great because you can look at any time on an app and see how much energy it is. And some offer you the ability to turn off that device remotely. So great uh, stuff out there to kind of help you reduce energy in the home. Now, another topic that I do want to bring up is energy consumption in your apartment from year to year. So it could be the case that you're looking at your energy usage year over year, and you see that this year, although nothing has changed in your apartment, meaning you're still using the same devices, there are not any new people in the apartment, um, and your patterns really haven't changed. And let's just assume that the weather is pretty constant from the previous year. So it's not a lot hotter than the previous year, but your energy consumption, let's just say is about, you know, 10 or even 25% higher than it was the previous year. That could be an indication that you, some of your devices are actually working harder to provide you the same amount of comfort. So if I use air conditioning for a moment, if an air conditioning unit has not been maintained, meaning that filter has not been changed or that coil has not been cleaned, it actually works harder to provide you air conditioning. And when I say harder, meaning it takes more energy and it could be up to 25% more energy to give you that 72 or 74 degrees of cooling um, because it's not working efficiently. The second um, area that um, of why looking at your utility bill is going to be important is going to be a big one. The utility could have made a mistake and you could just be paying a bill that is not correct. Now, most meters in um, New York, but uh, also nationally, uh, require an actual meter reader to go out to the building, look at the meter, take the reading, and plug it into their system. But if they can't access the meter for whatever reason, then that means you're going to get an estimated amount of energy usage. That estimate is typically based on the previous year's usage that same month. But then this could be a problem, right? Like if you made a change in your apartment, maybe you had an additional person living in your apartment and they're no longer they're living there or you replaced appliances, that estimate is actually wrong. Um, so it's really important to make sure that that information is correct. And when you see an estimated reading, um, you can actually get the information off of the meter and call your, your local utility meter to submit a reading. The other piece of that is that there are um, new meters, they're called smart meters, that are going uh, that are being installed across all utilities. Um, they're starting with electric meters. That is finally happening, um, but that will provide people the ability to not have somebody come to their actual home and read the meter. They will just collect the information over the internet. 
So I actually had this experience. Um, I've been in my apartment for about a year and I was getting much, much higher bills than I have ever gotten in any New York City apartment in the time that I've lived here. When I started taking a closer look at my bills, I realized that every bill used the word estimated meter reading. The other thing I realized, I went into the basement and I looked at the actual meter and it was it's pretty clear. Um, I had never gone into the basement of my previous buildings because I had no reason. Uh, but I went to the basement. I found the meter that said my apartment number on it and it's a physical meter. It's pretty easy to look at. And the other thing I noticed was that the meter number that was listed on my utility bill did not match the meter number listed on the physical meter that was was a uh, link to my apartment number. So I called my local utility to let them know, which I have to admit took a lot of time, a lot of being transferred around. I mean, I probably spent five or six hours in total arguing with the local utility, but it was worth it because what we figured out is that the building, my landlord had actually upgraded the building to those smart meters that Kelly was just talking about. And the utility had not updated their system. So what was happening is that they were just estimating a certain amount of electric usage in my apartment and no one was getting into the building to read the physical meter. And meanwhile, the whole meter system had been replaced to something where they don't actually have to have someone come into the building and read it. They just get that information sent electronically to them and that's how they can make our bill. So when I informed them that our building had these different meters and I, I had to send in photos uh, to show them, they were able to update their system to let their system know that the building had upgraded to these smart meters. I never I don't know many of my neighbors but I bet a lot of my neighbors got rebates back like I did after about six weeks on their end to update their billing system uh my next bill was a credit of about seven hundred dollars on my electric account so therefore I didn't have to pay my electric bill for a number of months because they were just eating into the into the, that credit I also learned uh, that my gas meter has not been updated to smart meters, but now I understand that I need to be proactive about sending in my gas meter readings every month so that they know how much I'm actually using instead of estimating because I'm sure this will come as no surprise, but the utilities will overestimate. They will not underestimate. And I did not want to be the utilities bank account to borrow from. So that's what I've been doing now with my gas. Karen, that's actually so common, and I'm glad you took those steps in order to get your your credit that you deserve and your money back. I uh, hope that people walk out of this episode and at least look at that, look at their utility bill, and if it is estimated, hard as it is, go to that utility company and get that credit. And I actually looked at your utility bills. You sent them to me, and I and I. Uh, took a quick look at it. And in addition to everything that you just talked about, there's another element on your bill that I do want to touch upon, um, which is a way to also save some money, but can be a little bit confusing at times too. And that is 
for your supply portion of your utility bill. So very quickly, your, your utility bill is split into two sections, a delivery side of your bill and a supply side of your bill. The delivery side is going to come from your local utility. So in our case here, it's either National Grid or Con Edison. The supply part of your bill is where you have some options. And you can choose to purchase energy from what is known as an energy services company, or in short, an ESCO. And that is where you can kind of uh, negotiate a better rate for your usage. I've actually always wondered about these because I see these companies set up at like farmers markets, or I know they send things in the mail and they say, save on your energy bill. But to be honest, One, it feels a little bit scammy. And two, I feel like it would be hard to maintain. Like, do I constantly have to be shopping around for the cheapest energy? And then if I let it go on for too long, will it actually make it higher? It just feels like it would add this whole other layer of responsibility that quite frankly, I don't want. That is that those are great points. And that's actually why a lot of residential customers don't end up going with an ESCO. So let me break it down into a couple quick steps that you can take to try to get a better price. So in New York and in many uh, different states that are deregulated that allow this practice of purchasing through an ESCO, You can look online and look at a couple of different companies. In New York, it's Power to Choose. So you go to powertochoose.com and a whole list of different types of ESCOs will come up. They'll provide you a couple of different terms. And what I mean by terms is 12 months, 24 months, 36 months, etc. That's how long the contract with that ESCO will last. Then there will be two additional options. The first is you can choose either a variable rate product, which means that they will fluctuate with how the commodity market is during this time, or a fixed rate product, meaning that you have a fixed rate that you will be charged every single month on the amount of electricity you use. Now, the benefit of that is certainty, whereas the variable rate product could be better, but if the market changes, it also could mean that you'll pay more. The things that you want to look for when choosing an ESCO are that there aren't any other charges that they are including in their terms and conditions. So one of them may be what you kind of described, Karen, which was that rollover. So contract ends in 12 months. And if you don't do anything, they're going to pop up the cost per kilowatt hour or per therm that you're charging. You don't want that. Also, you want to make sure that there is not another fee for using their service. And unfortunately, there is a lot of greenwashing in this space, meaning that a lot of companies will say we're 100 percent green. But when you look at their actual portfolio, that only five or 10 percent is actually renewable energy and the rest is what we call brown energy. So you just kind of have to do some research. But if you do that, that research, you can actually save a lot of money. So as long as you put in a contract for 12 months, you won't have to review it again until the next year, but it is worth looking into and saving some extra money on a monthly basis. And what happens at the end of the the term or the period 
after those 12 months, if I don't do anything, does it just go back to my local utility? And also what happens if I move apartments? That's great. So two things. One, if you move, the, the it, it won't follow you. So you actually, when you move your apartment, move from your home, you call the utility and end your um, account. So does the ESCO at that time. So you won't be responsible for um, continuing to pay them. With what happens after your term is done, that's different from ESCO to ESCO. Um, most ESCOs will not drop you back to the utility for your supply usage um, unless you tell them to do so. So you have to put some type of calendar reminder that at the end of your 12-month or 24 or 36-month term that you want to review your rate um, and see what else is out there or go back to the utility. Great. So we've spent a lot of time on why we should read our utility bills and what to look for and what to do when we find weird things. And we've spent some time talking about how we can save money on our energy bills on a monthly basis. Now let's talk about some real ways we can reduce energy in our homes and our apartments. So the first thing you want to do, we kind of talked about this a lot, but you want to understand what energy uses you have in your home. So you can do a little audit of your home. You can walk around, take a piece of paper and write down all of the things that use energy, which can be electricity or natural gas. Just write it down. Understand what they are. You also want to be aware of this, this term I'm going to use, which is vampire loads. Vampire loads are kind of what they sound like. Um, they suck energy constantly, even when they're not in full use. So if you have a computer or a TV that goes into sleep mode, that, that device is still using energy all day long, 24-7. That microwave that has a clock on it, that is using energy all day long. So you want to look for those types of devices and actually make sure that they are physically turned off, unplugged, um, so that you're not just literally wasting energy all day long. Kelly, I've also heard that even if you have, let's say a computer charger plugged into the wall, even if your computer's not attached, is the charger still taking energy out of the wall, out of the system? So if you have, um, if you have it plugged into a power strip, then, and you have that power strip turned off, then it is not using energy. But if you have the charger plugged in, it's only a little bit but it is still pulling energy all day long. So you want to actually unplug those types of devices that you're not using and use power strips as much as possible. Smart power strips um, are available as well, and those are also Wi-Fi capable. So you can literally go on your phone through an app and shut off every device that is on that power strip in one click. Where do you buy those smart power strips or smart plugs from and how much do they cost? So you can buy some of those smart um, power strips at Amazon, on Amazon. Um, that's where I've bought them recently. Um, but they're also available at like Home Depot and other stores like that, Lowe's. I'm sure other local hardware stores probably have them as well. 
Um, and they, they range in cost. The cheaper ones are around $30. The more expensive ones can get up to like $100. So I would choose wisely based on what kind of features that you want to have. Um, the other devices that we talked about earlier about monitoring your electric usage by device, um, those also range in price. So you can buy one plug um, and it could cost you $45. You can also purchase a system that can cost you a couple hundred dollars. So again, choose based on what you're looking for and what information and what um, functionality you want from that purchase. The next area that I want to focus on is really paying attention to your heating and cooling in your apartment. So as we kind of talked about before, the far majority of apartments in New York can't control their heating. But let me just focus on the ones that can for a moment and the ones that control their cooling. It's very important to remember that we do not need to keep our temperature in our apartments at 72 degrees all year long or even less. Some people during the summer want to keep their their apartments at 65 degrees. Um, and that uses a significant amount of energy to do so. So what I would recommend, room temperature is 72 degrees. So maybe turn the air conditioning down to 70 degrees, but try not to make that your hour by hour temperature that you need to have on in your apartment. Try to increase it, maybe degree by degree. That will really make a big difference on your bill on a monthly basis. Also, just a note for all my uh, fur parents out there, we don't need to keep our temperatures down in our apartments when we are not home at 65 or 68 degrees for our pets. We can keep them comfortable, which, you know, I have two big dogs. I want them to be comfortable, but I keep my room temperature when I'm not home at between 75 and 77 degrees, and they're perfectly fine. If it's 100 degrees outside, that is a pretty comfortable temperature. Um, and again, I'll only do that if it's really hot outside. If I can keep the windows open, I'll choose to do that. And the same goes for heating. We don't need to keep our thermostat at 80 degrees or 78 degrees during the winter. We can keep it at 70 or 68. Actually, 68 for me personally is pretty comfortable. Um, you can also put it lower and put a sweatshirt on. One thing I know too is that a lot of utility companies offer, even for your home and your apartment, something called demand response opportunities. So that means that when in the middle of summer at about noon or 2 p.m. when it's at its hottest outside, the utilities face the most demand because everybody wants to cool their spaces and that draws a lot of power from the utility. That's also when your energy bill is the highest because the more demand they have, the higher the cost goes typically. And some utilities will offer to sync up to your AC units in your apartment and they will actually be able to shut it off. And most of the time we're at work or outside of the home anyway, so we don't really need it on, but they can shut it off remotely 
on their end when they're experiencing a high demand event and then turn it back on when the demand comes down and therefore you as the resident avoid the highest dollar amount of energy use uh, while you're probably not home anyway or don't need it. That's right. And they actually also, a lot of utilities give you like gift cards for it, for participating in demand response events. And they typically also give you the devices that sync up to the, um, the room air conditioner uh, for free. So they'll ship it to you once you sign up for it. So great point, Karen. So the next way that you could consistently save, even if you are a renter, um, but also applies to a homeowner, is when you're replacing an appliance or you're replacing a computer or changing your light bulbs, you really need to look for the most energy efficient option out there. You can pre-browse some options on the Energy Star website. It has lots of information on uh, different manufacturers and different different types of products. Um, It also has pricing and where you can get the particular appliance or device. So um, that's, it's a really useful website. But just so that we're all clear, remember when you reduce the watts for any particular device, you are going to be more efficient when using that device. So if you're going from a 60 watt light bulb to a 10 or seven watt bulb, that is a huge savings on that one light bulb that you are using. So now think about if your microwave is 2,400 watts and you go down to a 1,600 watt um, microwave, that is also a big savings. So the more that you can do that, the more you will reduce the energy you use from moment to moment. Now, the good thing is, is that if you buy a new appliance and you haven't bought that appliance in a couple of years, most likely any newer version is going to be more efficient, but it's also very important that you make sure it is. Yeah, on Energy Star labels, there when you go to a hardware store, an appliance store to buy your next refrigerator, microwave, toaster, you name it, they, you know, stove even, uh, they'll have a lot of information on energy rating guides. Really read those. The Energy Star label is a blue one with a star on it. And as Kelly was mentioning, there is a website where you can actually shop in advance for Energy Star labeled appliances. And it's energystar.gov.gov. When you look for light bulbs and you're replacing a non-LED bulb with an, with an LED bulb, what you'll want to do is look for the wattage of your old light bulb. So it might be a 60-watt light bulb. And when you go to the store to find the LED, it'll say on the package, equivalent to a 60-watt bulb, even though the LED bulb itself maybe only uses... 10 watts of energy and that's why leds are so much more efficient in the past it used to be the leds were so much more expensive and they also had that like weird bright light thing that people don't want when they're you know just replacing a light bulb in a lamp and when you want like a nicer color warmer color now leds are a lot more affordable 
there may be like a dollar more than a typical light bulb or two dollars more than a typical light bulb uh and uh they also come in a wide range of like color options and they have much warmer hues than they had in the past yeah so the cost really does range uh, depending on the type of product that you are buying. Um, so specialty LED bulbs typically range a lot higher than others, um, than you know, their uh, fluorescent or incandescent bulbs, but they're still so worth it um, because they're gonna save you. Also, just another comment about LEDs, they last a lot longer than other bulbs, so you're not changing them out regularly. If for some reason you are changing your LED bulbs out more regularly, that also could be a sign um, that there's some electrical problem and there's something wrong with the fixture that you're putting it in, as in it that that bulb may not work with that fixture or there's an electrical problem with that fixture. So you should also check that out because the bulbs, the LED bulbs should not be dying um, you know, within a year. Um, and if they are, there's a problem. It's also important to note that a lot of local utilities offer rebates or incentives for certain products that you can get money back for purchasing them. So LEDs is one of them, but there are many others. So go on your local utilities website and look up rebates, energy efficiency rebates, and maybe you can also save some money on purchasing that product. So we talked a bit about tracking your energy usage and looking for changes. Again, that's going to help you know if there's a problem and also how to reduce. You want to make sure that you're getting familiar with your utility bills and reading through your utility bills, looking for those errors, but also looking for those spikes that Karen talked about. The next area is actually weatherizing your apartment or your home. And when I say weatherize, um, I'll break it down in this way. When we live in a space, we look to keep our, 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 our home or our apartment comfortable. So we don't want either the hot air from outside during the summer or the cold air during the winter coming into our space. So in order to prevent that from happening, we want to weatherize any of the spaces that will allow that to happen. So in order to do that, um, there, here's a couple of quick tips. Any window that has any gaps in it that allows air to to come through or cold air to come through, you want to make sure you insulate or cover up those spaces. If you have an air conditioning unit that is left in the window during the winter um, and you cannot, if, you, if, it, if it's completely impossible for you to remove it from the window, then you want to make sure that you have a cloth cover around that air conditioning unit so you're not allowing that cold air to come inside. Any doors or spaces that you have, you want to look for gaps that actually you can see sunlight through. If you look and see sunlight through any gaps, that means that air is also coming through. You want to fill those gaps as much as possible with what is known as weather strips. You can purchase them at your local hardware store and they're pretty easy to install so you don't have to hire anyone to do that. So any of those doors leading to the outside, a balcony door, or a any door basically that, that has that space, um, you can 
um, install that weather strip. Yeah, I actually did this at my home, Kelly, because last winter I couldn't even sit in the on the part of the couch that's closest to the windows because it was literally freezing. Air was coming right through the windows as if they were open. Uh, and that was really frustrating. So I went to the hardware store. I think I spent about $5, the hardware store down the street. And I bought this plastic sheeting. Basically what you do is you just, you, I had to remove the blinds. That was maybe the hardest part just to get access. But you put on this sheet of thin plastic. It's kind of like saran wrap. And then you just use your blow dryer to get out any wrinkles. And I wrapped up my windows for the winter. Uh, I left one in the living room and one in the bedroom unwrapped just so that I could have, you know, fresh air and open the windows. Uh, but I wrapped up the rest. And that actually made a huge difference. That one simple thing. And it cost $5 and took like maybe 20 minutes to do. Uh, the other thing I always do is when I install the window unit air conditioners in the summer, in the summer, I use the padding, the little foam strips of padding that come with my AC and just make sure, yeah, what you were saying, that there's no sunlight peeking through and no air coming through around the edge of them. That way I'm not just cooling and heating my apartment at the same time. And this summer, I'm also putting up a window film on the actual windows to keep the heat out. So I actually bought online. I just found one that had a high rating and good reviews. And it's basically a mirrored film that you can just stick on like a giant sticker right onto the window pane. So I'll be able to see out. People can't see in, which is an additional plus and actually why I bought it in the first place. But because I have, you know, cheap single pane apartment windows in my apartment, I am putting this film right on the the glass part of the window to basically insulate it just a little bit more. It will also reflect the physical sunlight heat out of the space to keep the space a little bit cooler. And that should dramatically reduce my the amount of AC I need to use. The other thing that's, that's pretty simple that I would recommend for those really hot days are to actually put your blinds down. You can get blackout um, curtains as well. That significantly reduces the amount of heat coming into the apartment through the windows. So that's just a simple, easy thing that you can do to, to reduce. Now, all of these things that we've talked about, um, some a little bit more complicated than others, but I hope that out of this episode, you are able to take away one nugget. Maybe that nugget has to do with looking at your utility bill and becoming more familiar with it. Or maybe it's that I'm going to walk around my apartment before I go to bed each night and make sure that all of the devices are turned into the off position or unplugged. One small change will not only reduce the amount of energy usage that you're paying for, but will also help us reduce the amount of greenhouse gas emissions that we're emitting in into the atmosphere. There's also some other devices in the home that use a significant amount of energy, such as game consoles and DVRs. So I will put some more information on our website about some of those other devices that just suck so much energy out and what you can do about it. 
If you're interested, make sure to go to our website so that you can scoop up all of that additional information. I hope that you found this episode interesting. I'd love to hear how you are reducing energy consumption um, or learning a little bit more about energy consumption in your apartment. I know I learned a lot today. Thank you, Kelly. I will definitely be looking into smart plugs and looking into that ESCO option for my utility bill because I'm all about saving money these days. Thanks so much. Thank you for listening to this episode of Red Skies. For more information on today's episode and upcoming episodes, check out our website, redskiespodcast.com. As always, our goal is to share interesting stories and continue to learn. And don't forget to follow us at redskies underscore podcast on Instagram.